Hi, I'm Wendy Francis, nutrition therapist, emotional eating expert, and entrepreneur. I've helped countless people overcome their obsession with food and weight. Isn't it time you overcame what you had become and ignite who you were meant to be? Your time to become an overcomer starts now. Welcome, everyone, and thank you again for joining me today for our call. And I have a special topic tonight. It's a topic that's near to my heart, as many of these calls are. But this one is particularly important to me. You see, for many, many, many years, and I, and I was raised uh, by a single mom who took me to see my grandfather a lot. My grandfather lived about two hours away, and he was an amazing man. He was my rock, he was my stone, and he is my, uh, still is, now he is my angel in heaven. But forever I heard my grandfather talk about cleaning his plate. He asked me to clean my plate. <laughs> he asked everyone who came in his home, and food was a very big paradigm for him in his home. He was constantly wanting to feed me or whatever friend I brought down. You see, he lived at the Jersey Shore. So when I was young, that meant fun beach trips. And as I got into adolescence, that meant lots of friends at those beach trips at the Jersey Shore. And no, it wasn't quite like the MTV Jersey Shore, but maybe a little bit. <laughs> but you see, even when my friends would come to my grandfather's house, he would feed them too. But we all knew we had to clean our plate. There's something that was really important to my grandfather. And I never quite understood it until I got older as he got older. And we started to have conversations more as I got into my profession and recognized behaviors from him and tried to really understand where they came from. I've also heard this same paradigm from many clients over the years of the, the feeling that I just need to clean my plate. For my grandfather, that was essential. It was important. He told me about his times growing up in the Depression when there wasn't enough food. And so to waste food really was a sin in his house and really looked down upon. And he also would make these really interesting concoctions of multiple different food paradigms. He would take a little bit of the old ribs that were in the, in the uh, refrigerator and then a little bit of this and a little bit of that and make a soup out of it. And it was another way that he learned to make food last longer. To see growing up in that day and age, he made me realize that he was a part of what we now know to be called the Clean Plate Club. And I'm going to explain there's actually history to this, which is so, was so interesting to me when I learned all about this years ago. He wasn't the only person I heard clean your plate from. Even for himself, he felt that way. He couldn't leave a morsel on whatever he served himself on his plate. And it, and it might be something that I've heard in other people's homes or from clients of, you know, there are starving people in other countries. You need to clean your plate because other people are starving. Don't let that last bite go to waste. These are all things I've heard from clients as well, and, and maybe some of you can recognize these things within you also. 
We know that the plight of our unconscious mind is even more important in unlocking our eating beliefs than our conscious. And when we have those things stuck in our mind, we need to clean our plate. We're starving people. Don't let that last foot go to waste. Those unconscious beliefs drive our eating behaviors. We know that to be true. And we also know that for many people within the generations that were brought up in the Clean Plate Club, as I'll talk about in just a minute, that that was passed down to the next generation and possibly even the next generation after that. Because it's those unconscious beliefs that we pass down to our children and sometimes our children's children, maybe even our children's children's children, because those beliefs live on longer than they need to be there for. Just like my grandfather, when I would visit him when I was younger and even until he passed away a few years ago, I knew that we weren't in a depression. And so did he. He knew that there was plenty of food at a grocery store, but yet those beliefs were still there. And they were difficult to change for him because he'd been living with them for so long. The Clean Plate Club was the beginning, actually, of a campaign that was first established in 1917. This is true, and it's factual. And this is when the U.S. Congress passed the Food and Fuel Control Act. Is no longer in existence anymore, but it did happen in 1917. And this gave the president the power to regulate distribution, export, import, purchase, and storage of food. Now, at that time, President Woodrow Wilson released an executive order creating the U.S. Food Administration, and he appointed Herbert Hoover as the head enforcing this act. This organization was given the task of making sure that the limited amount of food America had as a result of World War I didn't go to waste and to avoid importation of food as much as possible. Hoover knew that many Americans were willing to volunteer and had a strong sense of patriotism during this time of war. So he actually used that to his advantage when he advertised the idea of the clean plate campaign. You can see how long this has been going on for in our country. This is 1917. The Clean Plate campaign, campaign first came out. So Hoover promoted this idea to children, actually, who attended school with a pledge that read, at table, I'll never leave a scrap of food upon my plate, and I'll not eat between meals, but for supper time, I'll wait. This targeted young children to understand the value of food in the difficult economic time that arose between the years of 1917 and 1923. Many necessities such as flour and sugar were in short supply. So Hoover used a sense of American nationalism to actually encourage families to take appropriate rations and save food. His goal was for people to eat less, use less essential ingredients, and to finish their entire meal. By doing this, young children developed the habit of eating everything given to them, thus, quote-unquote, cleaning their plate. My grandfather, in the year that he was born, was actually a part of this campaign, which was so interesting to me when I found out and read about this history. But it further goes on. What's so interesting is that the Clean Plate Club did not stop there. The U.S. Food Administration was 
terminated after the First World War, but in 1947, there was a resurgence. The clean plate proposal came back, and it was encouraged by President Harry S. Truman, who aided in officially forming the quote-unquote Clean Plates Club in elementary schools across the entire country. This club was officially created after the Great Depression and World War II, when food was once again scarce. Now, I understand absolutely from an economic perspective what our country was doing at this point in time, but I also recognize this type of language in many clients who have a problem pushing their food away when there's still things left on their plate. So we now know that this concept actually can put Americans at risk of an unhealthy lifestyle, right? Because if we have this belief in our mind, then the reality is it's really difficult to push away that last little bit or to stop eating if we've only taken a few bites and we find we're full. If we have this in our mind, it's really difficult to stop because our beliefs absolutely determine our actions. We also know that today, portion sizes have increased markedly, shown by the fact that a serving of French fries today at a fast food restaurant is twice the size of a 1950s serving, and in some cases, quadruple the size, depending on the place you go. And so at this point in time, cleaning your plate has become a whole different paradigm than it did in these times. It's also been proven and I've worked with clients who've had their parents move them into the Clean Your Plate Club out of their own belief construct and maybe the time period they were raised or their parents were raised. So parents that push their children to eat their entire meal, we know that that interferes with the self-control of the child. We know that it leads children and adults to overeat. We know this. It creates a misunderstanding between our brain and our body because we're actually driving our eating from our mind and not our body. Some clean plate cases may even turn into some psychological problems or lead to developing eating disorders, and we know that to be true. On one, con one converse or the other, one spectrum or the other, I've worked with clients who have had anorexia who were made to clean their plate so much when they were young that the one way they could take a stance and or take their anger or control out for their parents was to not clean their plate and maybe not even touch the food that was on there. Conversely, I've worked with clients in the weight loss paradigm, emotional overeating and compulsive overeating who have had that same belief construct that drives their eating and doesn't enable them to feel hunger and fullness anymore because they've been driven by that belief that they just need to finish everything on their plate. So what do you do if you have this? Or what do you do if, you're, if you have a grandchild or a child who has been kind of put in the clean plate club paradigm? There are things you can do and you can work on now. I actually have four tips for you tonight that will help with the solution so that you don't have to be a part of this club anymore. I love clubs, but this is not one I want people to be in because we no longer need to hold on to this belief. So first and foremost, be mindful of the habit versus the hunger. I bring this call tonight to bring your awareness 
to the Clean Plate Club, where, where it came from and why it started versus why it is now. So that you can begin to understand if this is a problem for you or a spouse or another loved one, get a sense of that habit. Do you have to finish everything on your plate? Are you eating the last bite out of habit because you're used to finishing the entire plate? Research out of Cornell University actually indicates that we will eat 92% of anything we serve ourselves. Isn't that interesting? So if it's on your plate, you're likely to eat it. So one of the best moments to be mindful is when you're actually putting the food on your plate, maybe using some smaller plates or smaller serving utensils, cooking appropriate portions. Those are all within there. And then also recognizing if you have that food on your plate and you really are full, then what's stopping you from just pushing the plate away and moving your body back and out of that dining room? What stops you is that habit or that belief construct. Once you know that, you can change that. Secondarily, another thing you can do is mindfully practice. I know I've done lots of calls on intentional eating and mindful eating. Intentionally leave food behind. If you know that this is something that you've struggled with, if you know that it's difficult for you to not clean your plate, then start now. Just leave a bite or two behind. The more you practice, the easier it becomes. Why is it important? You can avoid overeating because you can start to listen to those internal cues rather than stopping eating based on external cues. Now, sometimes people say, well, Wendy, aren't you telling me an external cue of stopping? And I'll say, yes, I am. However, it's practice. So I don't care if you leave one bite, three bites, five bites, whatever it is, but stopping with that begins to help you practice the leaving of a little bit on that plate and then recognizing what that feels like. You know, start with just leaving one bite, then maybe two at the next meal and see what it feels like. For many people, becoming mindful with their food is very different than what they're used to doing. You may not be able to know or regulate or listen to your body. So you can start by regulating externally and then begin to regulate internally. If you know that you have a problem with hunger and fullness signals, then just leaving a bite there and knowing one or two bites is really not going to make a huge swing with respect to your hunger, fullness, your meal plan. But recognizing what it feels like to you when it's there is the imperative part. And that leads me to number three. Number three is dealing with that guilt or shame. And I'm going to tell you it's probably more shame-induced if, if it's an internal belief. But dealing with the guilt or shame that comes up for you when you leave that piece or that bite behind. Be honest with yourself. Are you eating the last bite to just avoid the guilt? For years, I've worked with clients who told me that they took that last bite just really so that they wouldn't feel bad. There was a feeling that they couldn't put their finger on, and when we talked further about it and processed it, it was shame for many of my clients. And it might be something like, well, I just feel bad. I know they're starving people in other countries. And I'll say, well, Truth is, I know, and it's sad, and are they still going to be starving whether or not you eat that bite? Yes. Unless you're going to send that bite or two or five or ten 
over to them. There isn't, that isn't the way to help them deal with their hunger. And there's other ways we can help people in other countries with the issues that are going on there. But by us eating more, it doesn't impact them whatsoever. So think about what prompts the guilt for you or the shame. If you don't like throwing the food away, you can use it to feed the birds. And that's something that my grandfather actually started to do, which I loved for him to do because it, it helped him. It helped him get healthier in his older years. And so we would take the leftover food that was on our plate and we would start a bucket. And I'll never remember, it was an old Sanka tin. I don't know if anybody remembers those, but and we would put any scraps left over in there and he'd pile them up high. And once they got full, he lived on the bay side of the Jersey Shore. He'd walk down his stairs and we'd walk across the street and we'd feed the seagulls. And we'd let the seagulls eat that old bread. I mean, obviously there's certain things you can't throw into the air, the seagulls, right? But, but we'd give them the bread or anything of that nature that we knew was okay for them to eat. And he'd move on and that felt good for him that that food wasn't being wasted. So you can find something to do with that food if you know that there's a place, if you want to start a compost bin in your yard. That's another thing that I've seen people do with the scraps of the leftovers. And you can also know that being really mindful at the store or at a restaurant will help you to deal with that guilt or shame. Obviously, if you're more intentional with what you order, it's a little bit easier to understand, you know, if there's a Let's just say you're at a restaurant and there's a nine ounce filet that comes with your meal. Well, instead of, you know, having to figure out how much you need to eat of that and what that's like, you can actually order half an order, leave the other half. They can wrap it for you to go home with. So you can have it tomorrow um, or you can order the lunch size. There's lots of things you can do on the forefront. But most importantly, it's dealing with that guilt or shame of leaving it. And then what can you do in a good dimension? with what's left over. And then finally, remind yourself it's okay. And I know that sounds simple, but any shift in thinking is a shift. It's a change. You can reframe the thought of I'm not finishing the plate, which can trigger the feeling of failure, to successfully eating mindfully when a few bites are left behind and you don't finish up the leftovers. Be specific on what you're saying to yourself. Like, I only need to finish what I'm hungry for. It's okay. I'm getting in control of my hunger and fullness and I'm starting to understand my body better. Recognizing these beliefs are important for us so we can keep unlocking the way or path for success. Again, the plight of our unconscious mind is even more important in unlocking our eating beliefs than our conscious mind. And if you have the belief cleaning your plate Isn't it time you stop? You can see from the history of those things, we don't need to be in a space of cleaning our plate anymore. It's time to let it go so that you can move into your true hunger and fullness without any guilt, shame, or blame. I'm going to go ahead and open up the line so that I can help in any way possible tonight. Wendy? Yeah. This is how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Fine. I thank you for the lesson you gave on tonight. And I was one of those kids. I was brought up in that era. Um, we had to eat everything on our plate. 
And like you said, it goes from generation to generation because I did that to our children. And I even do that to the daycare kids. I'm just being honest about it. I'm like, you got to eat everything on your plate. Look, kids out there starving, they don't have food and you have food. So it was conviction to me, but um, I love all the points that you gave on tonight. And I'm stepping back. I thank you for the eye-opener. Thank you, and I thank you for all the lessons that you have been bringing, even um, with the emotional eating and everything. I I thank you. I really thank you. Thank you. And thank you for coming on tonight. So now you get to go into the, the place that you work, and you're going to sit down with those kids, and you say, you know what? You don't have to clean your plate. You tell me when you're full, and you get to push it away now, right? Now you get to repair that. Yes, ma'am. Yep. Yes. There you go. For you and for them. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Um, do all of our food have to be um, organic in order for us or cage-free in order for us to lose the weight? Great question. So the answer is truly no. If you can get it as close to the source as possible. I tell people, you know, listen, I know, I know sometimes, you know, organic and non-GMO and all these things are, are a little bit pricier at times, and we may not all have access to them. So the biggest thing at first is to get yourself on plan, whether it's from frozen foods, fresh foods. Um, I don't like canned foods because we do heat up canned foods to 160 degrees Fahrenheit and it takes out all the nutrients. So I don't love canned, but frozen or fresh, getting yourself on plan first and foremost is the, is the thing to do. Then if you can start to add in organic, non-GMO, no trans fat, it's, that's a bigger benefit for your body to heal and be healthful in the short and long term. But it's not essential. And so you can pick and choose too with respect to frozen or fresh, depending on what you can find, you know, frozen that might be organic versus fresh that might be organic. And so kind of play with that. I, try, I tell people, try to find things that are as close as you, you know, if you can get your, your meat. You know, nowadays the research that is coming out on meat is, is pretty intense around the hormones and uh, that go into our meat. So if you can get that antibiotic and hormone-free, you're doing your body a service. And then you can look up what's called the Dirty Dozen. And the Dirty Dozen, which I don't have in front of me, every year it changes, but the Dirty Dozen is not a movie, (laughs) although I think it was. (laughs) Um, um, The Dirty Dozen is actually the, the fruits and vegetables that contain the most pesticides. So even if you can then take out the dirty dozen and get those organic of what you get and then move from there. So just doing it in in segments like that, it can be helpful too, as opposed to doing it all at once. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I hope that you learned something about the Clean Your Plate Club. And if this, in fact, was one of your beliefs, please Pay it forward. Take this lesson and learn it and and move yourself out of that belief construct. It no longer serves you. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, share it with a friend. Rate, review, and subscribe. You never know who you'll help become 
the next overcomer.